I want to extend my greeting to our guests today that reiterate what uh, Brother Cliff Knight said earlier in the service. We are delighted you are here and thank you for coming to share this worship time with us. On Sunday mornings, over the course of seven Sundays, Pastor Brian and I are preaching on the great Christological text of the New Testament. And as we think about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to find Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. All of us who know and love the Lord Jesus believe that the Bible is the greatest book ever written. It is the book given under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And while all of Scripture is God-breathed and inspired, I personally believe the greatest passage in the Bible is Philippians 2, 5 through 11. This is the Mount Summit, excuse me, the Mount Everest of Scripture. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11 are an first century Christian hymn. And uh, in the providence of God, it found its way into the pages of Holy Scripture when the Apostle Paul penned his letter to the Philippians. It is a hymn of adoration and praise to be sung to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are two stanzas in this hymn, verses 6, 7, and 8. The first stanza speak of his humiliation, and the second stanza, verses 9, 10, and 11, speak of his exaltation. It is a text that I have preached from this pulpit many times across the years, but today I want us to look at it with a fresh set of eyes and from a, a different perspective than anything I have done in years past. So we think together this morning on this subject, Jesus Christ, Lord of time and eternity. Jesus Christ, Lord of time and eternity. With our Bibles open to Philippians chapter 2, would you follow along as I begin reading with verse 5? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you think this morning about Jesus Christ, Lord of time and eternity, I want to remind us that God is not bound by time for God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit is eternal. But when God the Son took on human flesh, he stepped from eternity into time. And therefore we can say that Jesus Christ is Lord 
both of time and of eternity. Now, today, we're going to go from eternity past all the way to eternity future with an interlude of the 33 years of the Lord Jesus Christ during the days of his earthly ministry. There are four great, wonderful truths that I want you to see with me this morning in this passage of Scripture. The first found in verse 6 is this, Jesus Christ was Lord in eternity past. God the Son was Lord in eternity past. There was a time when Jesus was not, but there never has been a time when God the Son was not. And I want to be very careful here that I don't say too much or say too little as I try to thread this, this needle. But I think we can say with confidence that Jesus Christ, even before the days of his incarnation, we know him today as Jesus, the Christ. The name given to him by the angel, we read about it in Matthew's gospel, chapter one, the angel said to Joseph, you would call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And in Luke's gospel, uh, to Mary, the angel said, you will give him the name Jesus. He is the son of God. And so the one we know today as Jesus existed as God the Son in eternity past. As we saw last Sunday morning from John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is that Word who was in the beginning. We're speaking of the preexistence of the Lord Jesus Christ in eternity past. And he was Lord in eternity past. Uh, we read here in verse 6, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, who being in very nature God. Before God the Son took on human flesh, he was God. And we read in verse 6, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. God the Son did not seek to grasp equality with God the Father or God the Spirit because he was equal with the Father and with the Spirit. He is God the Son. F.F. F. Bruce, the great New Testament scholar of the 20th century said, and I quote, there's no question of Christ trying to snatch or seize equality with God. That was already his because he always had the nature of of God. Neither is there any question of his trying to retain it by force. The point is rather that he, that he did not treat his equality with God as an excuse for self-assertion. He was God. He did not try to grasp equality with God. He already was God. And his work of creation demonstrates his lordship in eternity past. Now, there's a second truth I want you to see with me, this time in verse uh, 7 and the first part of verse 8. And here we learn that Jesus Christ was Lord during his earthly life and ministry. Not only in eternity past was God the Son Lord, but during the days of his earthly life, his incarnation and his public ministry, he was Lord. We read in uh, verse 7, 
but made himself nothing. The Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself. He came down, down, down. He humbled himself, taking the very uh, 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 nature of a servant and made himself nothing, being made in human likeness. So Jesus came, uh, not as a political ruler, Messiah, as so many in his day were anticipating, but he came uh, as the lowly babe of Bethlehem, uh, born in a, a, a dirty stable filled with animals. It is the most uh, in, incredible, uh, inexplicable way to, to, to think about God the Son, the Prince of Glory, who humbled himself, who made himself nothing, who came in human likeness, in appearance as a man, for he was a man, as much a man as you and I, and yet fully God. C.S. Lewis in his classic book, Mere Christianity, says this about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second person in God, the Son, became human himself, was born into a world in a particular color, speaking a particular language, weighing so many stone. That's a British expression for pounds, 14 pounds to a stone. The eternal being who knows everything but who created the whole universe became not only a man but before that a baby and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. And then this clincher. If you want to get the hang of it, think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. I, there's no way we can fully grasp the, 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 the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Heaven coming and dwelling among sinful men. But that is exactly what the scripture said he did. Look at it again in verse 7. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, in appearance as a man. So for 33 years, God the Son took on flesh and he walked the dusty roads of Galilee. He went about teaching, preaching, healing, announcing the kingdom of God. The first 30 years, the solid years. We know very little about the first 30 years of his earthly life. We know of his birth recorded for us in uh, the early chapters of Matthew and Luke. And then there is this this interval of 12 years where you hear nothing of his childhood and then at age 12 for the first time he goes with Mary and Joseph up to Jerusalem for the observance of the Passover. And then we have 18 more years of silence and then Jesus appears on the scene and begins his public ministry after being announced by John the Baptist who said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So for 33 years, God the Son took on human flesh and lived for a while among us. He was God in the flesh. He was the God man as much God as he were not man as much man as he were not God. During those last three years of his earthly life and ministry, he demonstrated his lordship. Think with me about 
those years. I wish we had the time to just go and look at all these texts. It would take the rest of the day to do so. I'll just remind you what most of you already know about the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that uh, demonstrated his lordship during those days. He was lord over the weather. When the storm arose on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples in the boat were filled with fear and panic, Jesus just said to the storm, to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. And the Sea of Galilee was as smooth as glass. On another occasion, Jesus demonstrated his lordship over gravity. He actually stepped on the, on the surface of the Sea of Galilee and walked on the water, proving that he is Lord. On many occasions, Jesus encountered demon-possessed people, and he cast them out. Not with great effort, he just spoke to them, and they left. Because Jesus is Lord over Satan and all the evil spirits allied with him. He is Lord over disease. So many accounts in the gospel records of Ma in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the Lord Jesus Christ performing miracles of healing. He made the blind to see. He made the lame to walk. He made the deaf to hear. He made the mute to speak. He stopped the flow of blood in a woman who had been bleeding for 18 years. Uh, he was the great physician because he was God the Son. He was Lord during the days of his earthly life and ministry. He was Lord over human rulers. And Jesus feared no man. Betrayed by Judas, arrested, standing trial in the dead of night before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Palestine. Pilate says, don't you know I can set you free or have you executed? And what did Jesus say? You have no power at all against me except it was given to you. And then he was Lord over death. On at least three occasions we know that Jesus raised those who had, who had died physically from uh, from the grave or from a funeral procession. In one case, his friend Lazarus had been in the grave four days. Jesus said, Lazarus come forth and Lazarus came out of the grave. He's Lord over death. On another occasion, Jesus was going into the town of Nan and there was a funeral procession coming out to the cemetery and there was a heartbroken mother, a widow whose son had died and Jesus raised that boy from his funeral procession. Uh, there was... Jarius' daughter, who Jesus raised from the dead. We need to remind ourselves, to encourage ourselves, that Jesus Christ was Lord during the days of his earthly life and ministry, and none other than Nicodemus himself, who was Israel's leader, a Pharisee, said to Jesus when he came to him at night, he said to Jesus, no one could perform the miraculous signs that you were doing if, if, if God was not with him. In fact, God was with him for he was God in human flesh. Jesus Christ was Lord. He was Lord in eternity past. He was Lord during the days of his earthly life and ministry. Third, I want you to see with me in verse 8. 
the latter part of verse 8. Jesus Christ was Lord while on the cross. Now let that settle in. That'll almost take your breath away. Betrayed, arrested, condemned, led outside the city gates of Jerusalem, Golgotha, arms stretched out on a cruel Roman cross, the great spikes pinned his hands, his wrists to the cross, the, the horizontal beam and his feet to the vertical beam, and there that, that, that cross with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was raised and dropped in a hole. And there he hung, suspended between heaven and earth. And the artists, thankfully, do not do that scene justice. We can thank God for that because Jesus hung on that cross naked. It is the most humiliating and shameful way for a person to die. And only the worst of criminals were condemned to the death of the cross. But Jesus was on that cross. He spoke on that cross. He humbled himself. Look again in verse 8. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It was the will of God the Father to, to inflict righteous judgment upon him, to bear in his own body on the cross the judgment and the wrath of God that every single one of us deserves, that we might be forgiven and cleansed, that our sin might be atoned for, that we might be reconciled to the thrice holy God of this universe. I tell you today, Jesus Christ was Lord on the cross, even though he's, he could not move his hands or feet. He could speak, and he did. And what a treasure we have in what the Lord Jesus Christ had to say on the cross. I won't repeat everything, but let me just repeat four things that Jesus said on the cross. As Jesus hung at his feet, soldiers, wicked men, onlookers gathering around the cross and Jesus prayed to the Father and he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. That's a sign of his deity and of his lordship. God alone has the power to forgive sin. Then there was two common criminals who were crucified with the Lord Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. And initially they both railed against him and said, you say you're the son of God. If you are the son of God, come down from that cross, save yourself and save us. But as the hours wore on, one of those criminals turned to Jesus and he said, Lord, he recognized there's something about this man with whom he was being crucified who was different. He was not a criminal. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A cry of repentance 
and asking for mercy. And what did Jesus say? I love this. Today, he will be with me in paradise. Before the day was done, the sinless Son of God walked arm in arm through the gates of glory with a redeemed sinner. As the, as the day wore on, Jesus cried out, It is finished. Three of the sweetest words in all of our Bible. It is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. It's finished. The sin debt of Adam's race that we could never, ever, ever atone for, Jesus atoned for. He had paid in full the righteous and holy wrath of God against the sin of Adam's race and that all who would trust in him can be forgiven and restored to fellowship with God. He was Lord on that cross. He was in control, not those Roman soldiers, not those jeering religious leaders. Jesus was Lord at the, on the cross. And then he prayed, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. You see this now. Jesus' life was not taken from him. Jesus gave his life. Hold your place in Philippians chapter 2 and find John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. We'll come back to chapter, Philippians chapter 2 after we look at John chapter 10. During the days of his earthly ministry before Jesus went to the cross, he spoke words to his followers. We pick up the narrative in verse 11, John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Now watch this next sentence. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay. Jesus is the shepherd who gives his life. Let's skip down to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the second time Jesus said, I lay it down. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 17, the reason my Father loves me is that this is the third time I lay down my life only to take it up again. That's a reference to the resurrection on the third day after his death. Verse 18, this is the fourth time. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and to take it up. So before it ever happened, Jesus told his followers what was going to happen. And he said, I'm laying down my life. Even on Calvary's cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was exercising his Lordship. Because the cross was God's plan from before the creation of the world to redeem the human race. We have seen that Jesus was Lord in eternity past. We have seen that Jesus was Lord during his earthly life and ministry. We have seen that Jesus was 
even, Lord, while nailed to a Roman cross. The fourth truth found in verses 9, 10, and 11 is this. Jesus Christ is Lord both now and forever. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Look again in verses 9, 10, and 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whenever you see that word, therefore, which you see in verse 9, you always want to go back to what goes before it. And what we find in verses 9, 10, and 11 is the second stanza of this Christian hymn about the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it goes back to his humiliation that we read about in verses 6, 7, and 8. Again, verse 9, therefore God, this is God the Father, therefore God the Father exalted him, this is God the Son, to the highest place. What is the highest place? Well, Paul wrote about the highest place in Ephesians chapter 1. There Paul said, he, God the Father, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be involved, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. He is Lord today. And he will be Lord forever. His lordship will never cease. I love this phrase in verse 9. God exalted him to the highest praise and gave him, watch this, the name that is above every name. We compare great people who live. We name the famous, the influential, the powerful across the centuries. We take Simon Peter, but equally great is the Apostle Paul. We can name the name of Alexander the Great, who conquered the world at a young age, but equally great is Napoleon Bonaparte. Think back to the dark days of the Second World War. We think of General Dwight Eisenhower, the great military leader who led the Allied forces in the European theater, but equally great, General Douglas MacArthur, who led the Allied forces in the Pacific theater. We look back in church history, we think of the great reformer, Martin Luther, but every bit as equal was John Calvin of Geneva. We, we think of the great evangelist in, in England during the 18th century. We think of uh, John Wesley, but equally great was George Whitfield. In the world of sports, in baseball, we think of the great home run king, Bay Ruth, but equally great was Hank Aaron. Goff, Jack Nicholas, but equally great is Tiger Wood. And for those of you who are Auburn fans, 
there was Pat Sullivan, but then along came Bo Jackson, and then along came Cam Newton. And you find one great athlete or one great general or one great theologian or one great leader in the political realm, and there's somebody, his, his equal or her equal. But when we speak of Jesus, there is no equal to Jesus. He is supreme. There is no comparison. Charles Lamb said, and I quote, if all the illustrious men were gathered together and Shakespeare should enter their shining company, they would all rise to do him honor. But if Jesus Christ should come, we would all kneel to worship him. Emerson did not include Jesus in his list of representative men for he said it takes too much strength of constitution to do that. His name is not so much written but plowed into the history of the world. His name is the name above every name. Do you love Jesus? Do you? Oh, how I love Jesus. He is my Savior and my Lord. Verse 10 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Even now as we gather in this worship service, the saints in heaven are worshiping him. In the apocalypse, we read that the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, worthy, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. His name is above every name in heaven. His name is above every name on earth, in the here and now. Those who love him will gladly bow their knee before him. You don't have to kneel to pray. You can pray standing or sitting or lying down. But do you ever kneel to pray? Do you? Every Sunday morning at 7.30, our pastors gather around these steps and we kneel and pray. And we do it because we love the Lord. Now, there are many in our world today, in fact, most in our world today, do not bow their knee before Jesus. Multitudes bow before false gods, Islam, Buddha, Hindu. There are others who bow neither their knee nor their heart before anyone other than themselves. But someday they will. At the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven will bow, every knee on earth will bow, and under the earth in the place called hell. It'll be eternally too late then, but it'll happen.
Everybody in this worship service today, someday, will bow your knee before Jesus. And as verse 11 says, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You will. You may have hardened your heart now and said, I don't want anything to do with this Jesus. It'll be the master of my own fate. But the day will come. You mark it down. You heard it from this preacher today. The day will come when King Jesus comes again in the clouds. And someday every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that our Lord Jesus Christ is God and Lord and Savior to the glory of God the Father. You say, does that take away from God? Not at all. Look at it again. To the glory of God the Father. When God the Son is honored, God the Father is glorified. Those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we gladly confess with our lips his lordship. Have your way with me, Lord Jesus. Now look back in verse 5. In light of what's going on before in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, in light of what Paul says in verses 6 to 11, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The way up is down. Uh, pride goes before a fall. God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. And because Jesus humbled himself, God the Father raised the Lord Jesus Christ to glory. The Lord Jesus, was, he was Lord in eternity past. He was Lord during the days of his earthly life and ministry. He was Lord while on the cross. He is Lord today and tomorrow and forever and ever and ever and ever. And we want to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We want to be submitted to the will of God the Father. And it begins with repentance and faith. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the good news is you can bow your knee today. Confess with your lips today that Jesus is your Lord and go from this place, a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old gone, the new, having come. And I promise you on the authority of God's holy scripture, but as many as received him to them gives you the power to become the children of God. If you'll receive Christ Jesus, he will embrace you and forgive you and save you. But if not, and you live out your days, whether you have a few days left or a few decades left, but someday the grim reaper will visit your door and you too will slip into eternity. And if you don't know Christ, the day will come the end of the millennium, the great white throne judgment. And you will stand before a holy God and hear him say, depart from me, 
I, I don't know you. Depart from me into everlasting darkness, into the lake of fire. Do you understand? I, I take no delight in, in talking to you about the coming judgment of the unrepentant. None. Had I had my rose, I'd just, just pass over it. But I wouldn't be the man God's called me to be. And I wouldn't be the, the pastor that you need me to be if I just preached to you the sweet part of the scriptures and not the difficult part. And a hundred years from today, everybody in this room is either going to be with God in heaven or cast forever from, away from the presence of God. The good news is you can be saved today. If you trust Jesus, in this very hour, come to Jesus. Come while you can, while there's still breath in your body. You're not here today by accident or happenstance or chance. God in his sovereign grace has brought you to this worship hour that you might be confronted with your own need of a Savior, that you might be forgiven and saved forever. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but come. God, our Father, I pray that you take your holy word, Spirit of God, you would create today, regenerate dead men who are spiritually, men and women who are spiritually dead. Give them new life. Bring them to repentance and faith. Show them the beauty of Jesus. And may they go from here rejoicing this day because they have been forgiven, washed, cleansed, made righteous through the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name, amen.